This episode is sponsored by Launch Tabletop. Are you thinking of making prototypes, demo copies, or short print runs of your game? Well, Launch Tabletop can help. Their print-on-demand service, Launch Lab, helps you make retail-quality board games at all scales, even just one single copy. Go to launchtabletop.com to find out more, and if you use promo code BGDL20, you'll receive 20% off your first order. So if you want to launch your next game project to the stratosphere with retail quality and no minimums, check out Launch Tabletop today. What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, I'm excited to do a little bit different format. Never done this type of an episode before where we're talking about games that you should play as a game designer. We're going to go through lists, not necessarily like a top 10. It's not like a number 10 down to number one. Just 10 games that you should be checking out, 10-ish. 10-ish games. We dive into quite a few more than 10. But anyway, games that you should check out as a game designer, things you should play, you should analyze, you should try to understand, even if it's not your style of game, even if it's not a game that you're really interested in, there's still value in playing these games. And I'm talking to Pam Walls from Pam Walls Game Design, a phenomenal party game designer who's also getting into some other types of games as well, some adventure type games. And she has a wonderful YouTube channel. That's where I discovered Pam, uh, Pam Walls Game Design on YouTube, and she's been putting out pretty consistent content for a while now for game designers, doing a lot of what I've been trying to do with the Board Game Design Lab of helping people design great games people love, and she's got some really good videos, good content over there, and so she suggested this topic, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting, and uh, it was really a lot of fun to hear her list, hear her break down why these games, in her opinion, are just phenomenal examples of games that people should play if you're wanting to get into game design. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Convivial Games and their upcoming title, Feuds and Favors. Set in a time where the sword and shield were considered question and response, you will take to the field in a grand tournament to test yourself against your fellow captains in a race to earn seven trophies. Manage your company of troops in a stream of reinforcements to maintain strong defense, engage your opponents, and shift tactics. Gain the favor of prominent nobles and use their influence to turn the tide of battle. Are you ready to compete? For more information, you can check out convivialgames.com. That's C-O-N-V-I-V-I-A-L games.com. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years, and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. And now, please help me welcome Pam Walls. So, Pam, really excited to have you here. Excited to dive into an episode I've never done before. I've never done a, a show like this where we're just chatting about all sorts of games. We're talking about games that people should be playing, that they should be analyzing, that they should like be taking notes with. Like, I think that's another thing. As a game designer, you kind of nev you never play a game again because it's deeper now. Mm. Like as you're playing, you're looking at the choices that the designer made, and the choices yes. that the graphic designer and the artists made, and the production value like you're looking at a zillion different things and in some ways maybe kind of ruins gaming like i've talked to designers they're like yeah i used to enjoy playing games a lot more than i do now because now i can't turn the design brain off mm. and so i think that's interesting 
challenge, but not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of like watching film. You know, if you're trying to get better at anything, you go find the people doing it the best, whether it's comedians or, or speech right. writers or whatever, and, and you just see how they do it and you break it down. And I think that's what we're going to be doing here. Just talking about some of not necessarily our favorite games, because I've got a bunch of games no. on my list that I don't really like yeah. <laughs> necessarily that I'm not going to yeah. pull off the shelf. I'll play if somebody right. asked me to. But no. these are games that I feel like people should play, even if you only play it once. And yes. so before we get into that, these lists, tell me your process. Like, how did you come up with your games? What were you thinking about as far as like categorizing different things just to give people context? Because this is not like a top 10. It's not like, oh, we're going to go from number no. 10 down to number one. It's a little different. So tell me about your process. So I actually made a video of the 21 games I think every board game, board game designer should play. And my process for that was trying to hit every single major mechanic. So trying to expose designers to every single major mechanic that I could think of. So for this, I did take some from that list, but then I added some, some new ones as well. And so I'm just trying to have a good breadth of games where if I were to meet a new designer... I would give them this list of 10 games and be like, go play these 10 games and you will learn so much from these different types of themes, mechanics, being exposed to different designers that they should know about. So it's just a broad range of games that I think new designers should definitely check out. Yeah. One thing I always advise designers is don't only look at or, or watch reviews or play games based on the specific thing you're designing. Like If you're working on a worker right. placement game, don't just do worker placement stuff. Go do mm -hmm. some party games, go do some deck building, like see some other me mechanisms and experiences because that's going to inform everything as well. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, ah, you know, I'm not I'm not designing that kind of game. Understood. Play, play these anyway, because you're yes. going to learn some things. And even if you don't learn anything like you're saying from the mechanism, you're going to learn from the designer. Like, why yes. did they make this choice? Right. And so and tell me tell me about that. What are some things that maybe you learned? Uh, from these games like I'm, I'm assuming these are games that you've played that you've you know figured out and all that what are some of the, just yeah. the general concepts you've kind of learned overall and then let's get more specific when we get into the actual kind of nitty-gritty sure so one of the biggest things you know as being a a, a good game a good designer is you want to give players interesting choices mm -hmm. so that's one of the most interesting thing is does the game offer interesting choices? And a lot of the games on my list do that in really interesting ways. How do the players interact with each other? That's always very interesting to me as well. So then also um, maybe what not to do, um, trying to cram in too much into a game sometimes. Um, yeah, those are the sort of general things. And also when you're looking at theme, trying to be different and unique, not always doing the same overdone themes different things like that. I want to, I don't want to give too much away before getting into the list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, to your point though, another thing to think about is bad games. Now, none of the games on our list, I, I don't, I don't think at least my list are, are bad by any stretch of the no. imagination. A lot of them are very well loved. They're in the top 200, 500 or so on board game geek. They've yep. made a lot of money selling a lot of copies, but there's so much value in playing terrible games, right? It's, it's kind of mm. like when rain is scarce, you pray for it. You know what I mean? Like when you when you don't have the balance of the good and the bad, it's kind of hard to understand the context, the full context. And so, mm. yeah, if you if you play a game and even if it is an awful experience, there's value in that. Right. And so yeah. uh, I don't know that I'll ever do a don't play these games. I'm not trying to start any kind of Internet drama with with some game designers. No, you know? no, no, no. But <laughs> but yeah, good, good things to think about. But anyway, let's get into our lists and I'll, I'll let you go first. Guess first. And um, sure. technically number 10, but like this is just kind of. You know, it's not like a ranked thing. So what's the first thing yeah. that comes to mind? 
So yeah, the first game on my list is Imhotep. And this is a game by Phil Walker Harding. And so every designer should know about Phil Walker Harding. He is probably my favorite designer. He has a great catalog of games. Any game that he comes out with, I'm like, I want to play that. And they're all so different. It's like he's done Sushi Go, Silver and Gold, Gizmos. He just came out with one called Spellbook I played at Gen Con. So he's just a great designer for other designers to know about, first of all. Secondly, this is just a really fun game. So the idea is you're all ancient Egyptian architects and you're building pyramids and obelisks and different things like that. And so you're all trying to gather resources and then load them on ships. But the interesting thing, one of the interesting, most interesting interactions between players is that any player can launch the ship and decide which action space it goes to. So you could send a, sh a ship that doesn't even have any of your resources on it, it has all other player resources on it, and you can send it to an action space that you think will not benefit your, your the other players as much as possible. So... There's a little bit of take that in that, and I don't love take that, but the way that he does it is so interesting because you will still get something out of it. You'll still get something good out of it. it just might not be your ideal plan A. And so I think that's just really interesting. I've never seen that in a game before where you have like a plan, you're, you're loading up a ship, but then someone else can send it, send it to a different action space. So yeah, it's just a very interesting game. The player interaction is very interesting. It deals with a sort of take that mechanic in an interesting way and just an introduction to Phil Walker Harding. Yeah, I love Phil. He's been on the show in the past. One of my favorite games of all time is Baron Park, which he did. It's a polyomino game about building a, a park for, for bears. It's kind of literal in the bear park. But uh, yeah. it's a great game. But to your point, completely different than yes. Imhotep that you're talking about. Like, he is, his brain is phenomenal. Because, like, yeah. I'm the kind of designer, and I know a lot of other designers, you kind of get in your lane. You're like, this mm. is what I do. Yes. I'm good at it. I've play tested these types of systems a million times. I'm just going to stay right here. This is where I block and where I tackle. Right. Phil is like, <laughs> I'm going to go do something that I've never done before. And it's still going to be one of the best games in the world. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it's exactly. Uh -huh. Every game you play by his, yeah, is completely different. I played Spellbook and it was the only game I played at Gen Con. And I was because I saw it, I was like, I'm playing that. And because it was so busy at Gen Con, you couldn't demo any games. But I waited around until I could finally play it. And it's just so different from any of his other games. But just like all of his other games, it's so mechanically sound. And it's so interesting and different. So he's definitely a, desire, a designer that inspires me for sure. Yeah, 100%. All right. So the first, I'm going to cheat on a few of these just to let you know where I've got like some either ors or I've got like this yeah, or that. Sure. So the first one that I really thought about is really based on you know, I've, I've interviewed over 300 designers at this point and the same four games come up over and over and over again, especially mm. as far as like games that got people into the hobby, got people sure. into designing. And so my first one is, is those four, which we, I'm, and these are all well-known it's Catan, it's Dungeons and Dragons, it's chess and it's Magic the Gathering. Those ah. four games seem to be, I, I would, I would say that those four games have brought 90 plus percent of game mm. designers into game design. Uh, with me, it was Dungeons and Dragons. I know Rob Davio was Dungeons and Dragons. I've talked to a lot of other people. It was Catan. Uh, chess, you know, a lot of people grow up playing chess and kind of gets their their wheels turning, at least into, the, not necessarily the space of game design exactly, but at least in the space of like playing games and just yes. kind of normalizing it in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so anyone listening to this, one, you're, you've probably played all of them, if not most of them. But to go back and study why these four games in particular changed the world, because they all did in different ways, 
right? Yeah. People still play these games. You know, and a lot of times gamers, they, they, they'll they come in with Catan and they're like, oh, well, Catan, it doesn't have this or that. And they'll kind of like throw shade at it once they get into the wider world of gaming. Mm. But I still have friends that Catan is the only game they play. They get right. together once a week with their Catan gaming group. Not their gaming group, their Catan <laughs> gaming group. Yes. And they play that and they, you know, they'll throw in the expansions and they'll play the Game of Thrones version. Like they, you know, they, they change things up, but it's still Catan. Why? Yeah. Why do people keep coming back to that game? Same with uh, Magic the Gathering. Just the ability to construct a deck and like have all these different combos and all these different things you can do. I mean, that game's been around since the early 90s, I think, late 80s. Like it's been around a long, long time. Made billions of dollars. So mm. it's easy to look at some of these games that kind of everybody likes. And we're like, ah, oh, well, you know, I like this thing you've never heard of that there's only like 42 copies on the market. Yeah. Like, cool, fine. Mm. But there's a lot of value in looking at why did these games make such an impact. So, yes. Pam, with you, what game got you into the hobby or got you into gaming or game design? Yeah, and I was asked this actually just the other the other day, and I, I, I don't remember like a certain specific like aha moment or anything like that. What I, what I think it, it was was a board game cafe opened up near me when I was in Toronto, Snakes and Lattes, one of the first board game cafes ever. And it was teeny tiny, now it's huge. Um, and so I, I think it was that just being exposed to a board game cafe with a million different kinds of games and just started playing a million different kinds of games. I think that was really the door kind of opened a little bit and then it got flung open as soon as I joined the design group in Toronto at Snakes and Lattes, meeting other designers, them talking about different games. So I would check it out, mentioning different things. So I would try that out. So just being exposed, getting more into the community I then learned about all the uh, all the of the games that exist that I didn't know about. Hmm. Yeah, is that something you did on your own, or were you invited uh, to go to the design group? Well, to go to Snakes and Lattes at the beginning. Um, I just I heard that this board game cafe was opening down the street from me, and I just went and checked it out. And then they were on Twitter, and I saw that they posted they have a design meetup, and I saw that. And I was like, oh my God, that's a thing. It was <laughs> happening that night. I ran down the street to go do it. And then like Christopher Chung, who designed Lanterns, was one of the play testers who play tested my game the very first time I went to one of these things. And I was just like completely hooked after that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I had a similar experience of like, wait, what is this? Like this, this exists? Like what is this world that I did not know of? That yes. apparently there's a whole bunch of opportunities. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. But um, all right. So moving on, what's your next one? Um, but just another thought about that too, right. is that, um, I do remember playing ticket to ride hmm. and that was my first exposure to like a modern board game. I'm pretty sure. Um, and I just remember feeling completely overwhelmed and not having fun at all. <laughs> and just <laughs> like, not, too complicated. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what is happening? Like I had only been used to, you know, like, yeah, like party games, trivia games, very simple role and move games. And this was like a gamer friend of mine, like friend of a friend. He played Ticket to Ride. And I was just like, yeah, I was just completely overwhelmed by it. So that did not hook me in. So I can't remember what other game it was. But now I play Ticket to Ride and I love it. But when you're first exposed to these games, they can be overwhelming. Absolutely. If you're used to just sort of the standard roll and move. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. But yeah, so moving on to number two, which is definitely not uh, an intro game, definitely not begin too beginner beginner friendly, super heavy game. It's called Robinson Crusoe, and I don't know if you've played this game. Um, oh yeah, I, I almost put it on my list. I almost did. Oh, okay. I was really close, but uh, it, it, was, it was like 
coming down to like the final slot and it was one that was up there so anyway great game go ahead so yeah so as a designer i always want to continue to push myself and to yeah like you said play games outside my comfort zone but also play games that are heavier than what i might be comfortable with or used to so there's a lot going on in this game be prepared to watch an hour-long how to play video and then struggling through it for three to four hours um so yeah, it's on my list because it is a great game, um, but it's a very heavy game. So just me exposed to that. But then I would also challenge designers to play it. And maybe while you're playing it, think about one thing that could have been cut. Because I do think there is a lot going on. And I think the publisher was very nice to the designer, just let them do whatever they wanted. I mean, it all makes sense. Everything there that's in the game has a purpose. They Everything works together very well. But some of the rules are a bit finicky. Some of the things you forget are there. Some of the things you're like, oh, wait, when I do this, then I can do that. But it doesn't happen all the time. It just happens this one specific time. Be a little bit finicky sometimes. But it is a fantastic game. But from a designer point of view, I would maybe look at it and think, if this is my game, what would I maybe streamline a little bit from it? Yeah, that's a really good good idea with any game in general, right? How could you change a mechanism, cut a mechanism? How would that affect the game? You know, Robinson Crusoe has those dice, which a lot of people loathe because they do all these things. They build up these strategies. They get everything in place. Yep. And then the dice just wreck you. And there's nothing you yep. know about it because Lady Luck was like, ha not today. And so like, what would it? what would it do to the game to make that a card-based system where there's still the luck of the draw, but you, you can count the cards. Like, you know uh, what your odds are, you know, you know, the percentage is a little bit better. Sure. Like how would that change the game? And you could um, maybe stack it. You could add more good things into yeah. the deck to maybe potentially help you. So, you know, right. there's a less of a chance of t- something terrible happening because so many terrible things happen in this game. <laughs> exactly. Which yeah. is one of my favorite things though. I love the system in that game of you, you have the card, and you read it, and then it's got like, it's going to come back later. Yes. You know, you have to put it back in the deck. And you're like, oh, yes, man. Now that. you know it's in there. You're like, oh, the tiger. Yeah. The tiger's yeah. coming back to eat me. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, or like you eat something, and then it comes back later, and you get sick. Like, I, I, there's so many clever things in this game. So in case anyone doesn't know. So you basically, you're stranded on an island, and you, there are different scenarios. The basic one is you're trying to build a fire to alert a ship that's going by. Uh, in time or you all die so it's a cooperative strategy game with all different kinds of scenarios and you're all trying to work together to not die but you definitely probably will die um, but there's so many different smart things going on i love how if two people go do something it's a guaranteed success but if you decide as a group one of you is going to go do it then you have to roll dice i think that is just that alone it's just such a cool cool thing there's so many cool things happening in this game and i don't even know if you have to cut anything but it's just an interesting exercise to think if i wanted to streamline this game what could maybe be cut or what could maybe be clarified or maybe not so edge case kind of finicky situations yeah definitely okay excellent choice my next one is a game called kimmet you ever played kimmet i've heard of it haven't played it phenomenal game it's kind of this like egyptian adjacent thing going on where it's like pyramids and pharaohs and all the like egyptian mythos mythological creatures and stuff like that but it's kind of it's basically a war game so if you like risk then kemet is like the way better version of it right Ah. Uh, one thing i love about kemet so let me back up one of the problems with risk is somebody can turtle they can go down there in australia Mm. and it's like hard to get at them and you know there's other people up here and they're going at it and but it's not balanced. Like the map is not balanced. Right. Kimmet changed that. 
in that pretty much every space can reach almost every other space. And when you start the game, you have equal access to everyone else on the board, the way oh. the map is, is arranged, like the areas. Okay. And you can also teleport and like you can do different things. So like nobody is safe. You can't just turtle somewhere. Like if you're if you're doing really well, everybody else is going to come get you <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's great because it kind of self-balances in that mm. way. But players can also go totally different paths to victory. There's all sorts of different strategies that you can take different types of creatures that do different types of things. Um, the combat system is phenomenal. It's not dice-based, it's card-based. And it's kind of ah. that you've got these cards in your hand and you're going to play one and it's going to do different things and you're going to you know look at the numbers, stuff like that. But it's not just winning and losing. It's also basically how many casualties you take, right? So you could you could win the battle but end up losing more men on the board than your opponent. It's, uh, it's this really interesting thing and different cars do different things. And so, and it's, you, especially early on in the game, you know what your opponent has. And so then you're like, Oh, do I, do I go all out? Do I play this? Like, do I play my best card? And then, you know, basically, because if you play it, then you lose it for a little while. Anyway, phenomenal system. If anyone is creating a game that has combat, that has any kind of skirmish, has any mm. kind of board movement as well, highly, highly recommend. Very cool. Very cool. Who designed that one? I do not know. I'll look that up and I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> you go ahead. What's your next one? Okay. Um, yes. Okay. So my next one is Creature Comforts by Roberta Taylor. Um, it is a, a dice worker placement game. And I just, I love worker placement games in general because again, it comes down to choices. You have so many different things you could do on your turn. And I love how it's a bit of a race to see if you can get to that space first. This one is slightly different, um, but the main reason it's on my list is because of the theme. So I mentioned this earlier that a lot of themes, in my opinion, are overdone. And this game has one of the most interesting and different themes that I've seen in any game. So, the, so the, the theme is you're all different animals and you're all getting ready to, for winter and you're trying to make your dens as cozy as possible. And I just love that. It's so different. It's just, I'm so kind of tired of seeing the same theme over and over and over, especially at playtesting meetups. It's just, oh, here's another one of those kinds of games. So it's just we're so refreshing. And so as a designer, it's good to see different kinds of themes different interesting uh, worlds you can create, different themes you can have. And this does that really, really well. The art is amazing. You really feel like you're building up your little den and you have your little soup and you have your socks and you have your like blanket and it's just fantastic. So it's a great game mechanically, but theme wise, it's different and interesting. So it hits those both of those two points very well. Yeah, I love that. I love any time a game can have some interesting things thematically going on, but at the same time, it still makes sense with the mechanisms. Like things still intersect and you go, oh, that makes sense. Like it's still yes. intuitive. Yeah, it's yes. really cool. So the designers of Kimmet, I'm going to totally butcher these names, but I think it's Jacques Berrio and Guillaume Montehe. Mont French. It's in French. I don't know what it is. <laughs> My Alabama okay. accent does not let me say those letters next to each other. But uh, uh, okay. it's from Madigo. It's from 2012. Like a lot of the games mm. on my list are OGs. Like they've been around a long yeah. time. And I think I think that kind of is another thing to think about. It's like if people are still playing this game, they're still buying it. Yeah. I mean, chess has been around a zillion years. You know, Catan, D&D, Magic the Gathering, came in, several more of my list are from like 10 plus years ago. Yes. And they're still selling copies. It's like, huh. Yes. 
Maybe that definitely reason. tells you something for sure. <laughs> and there's a lot of cult of the new in the board game community. Yeah. So no, I think it's great to, there's so many great games that are 10, right. 20, 30 years old for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a lot of flash in the pan stuff right now. It's a game that comes out yes. and you're like, oh, you know, that's fine. But it's no, it's not a favorite game. It's a three no. out of five. Yeah. You know, I, I think I would rather have a game that a certain group of people are like, this is my favorite game of all time. And then a lot of other people are like, I hate this. I never want to see it again. I would rather mm. have that than just a, a game where people are in general are like, yeah, it's fine. Mm. You know, I, something to think about as a designer, you know. You want a strong reaction one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and find your people, you know. Great. Yeah. Not every, Games aren't for everybody. Like, you can't, if you create a game for everybody, it's a game for nobody. So how can you really lean into your target audience so that mm-hmm. it's their favorite game? It's one of their top 10 games of all time. Yeah. Knowing that in doing that, you're going to have a whole bunch of other people who are like, I hate this. This is mm-hmm. nothing I want to see at all. And and that's okay. If you go to Amazon and you look at the best books ever written, those books have a bunch of one-star reviews. It just right. is what it is. So something to think about. All right. My yeah. next one, speaking of games, been around a long time. Uh, Twilight Imperium, which is now in its fourth edition. Or, or if you're not quite into that, Dune, which has been around uh, a zillion years as well. And these are the kind of games that take forever to play dune is like a three plus hour experience twilight imperium four plus five plus depending on how many players are at the table and so why would i tell you to sit down and play one of these games even if you have no desire because i want a designer to understand what it takes for a game to last that long and still be good yes because i've i don't know about you i've made 20 minute games that lasted too long where players are like this is (laughs) too long This needs to be five minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, but you've got these games that these are these are two games that like people say are their favorites of all time. Like, I can't tell you how many people I've met that say, oh, I love Twilight Imperium, one of my top three favorites of all time. I say, That's crazy. And they they will they will devote a weekend bringing yes. friends over, planning out the meals for the day because it's going to take all day because they're playing a six player game or something crazy. Yeah. And they'll do it all day and they love it. And they'll get to the end and they just feel satisfied. So as a designer, how can you design a game that takes up a long time? but mm-hmm. it's still good the whole way. And one thing you learn about these games is it's different systems. Players aren't just thinking about one thing. They're thinking about a whole bunch of stuff in, in right. chunks, in bites, right? In right. Twilight Imperium, there's combat. There's the voting where you can you know bring new laws in. They're going to change the game in some way. There's, there's just so many different little phases that kind of keep your brain working. And none of the phases in and of themselves are big. They're all yeah. pretty small. There's just mm-hmm. a bunch of them and they can stack on top uh, of each okay. other. And so, and also with anytime you see a new edition, like this is a fourth edition. What do they change? Why? Yes. Why do they why do they take that out? Why do they add that in? And just analyzing that. So let me let me toss that back to you. Have you seen any games that you enjoy that have come out with a later edition or an expansion that changed the game in certain ways? You're like, oh, and you kind of saw something new that was really cool? Nothing is jumping to mind where they like fixed a major error in an updated edition. Yeah, it could be. Or change a mechanism. Like I'm working on a game right now that came out a couple years ago it's hunted kobayashi tower and it's very dice based and i i I made that game because i wanted it to have a lot of luck and a lot of just like swingy i wanted that but then the more people played it they're like that was just too much it's like oh okay and so going back in and changing d6s to d8s adding some Uh, cards in that add just a little bit extra mitigation where you can go plus one or minus one or just a few tweaks have drastically changed the swinginess of the game still a lot of luck and so it didn't have to be a massive change uh it could also just be the rule book a lot of times second editions just fix the rule book and how yeah. trash they were first time around so yeah for sure 
I mean, one of my games is a second edition, but it's just like a retheme. I don't think they really changed anything or updated anything. So but, what what theme to what theme? Um, well, it's actually, should I just talk about it now? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> if it's on your list, go for it. <laughs> it's on my list, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's Century Spice Road Golem Edition. Um, so the first one is just, yeah, I guess you're collecting spices on a spice road. Now this one, you're collecting crystals and then forming them into golems. I don't even know what a golem was until I played this game. Um, the theme is almost unnecessary in this game. Um, but I was, I did actually look that up, that up this morning about what's different between the first edition and the golem edition. And from what I saw, they didn't change any, tweak any rules or anything like that. So I guess it was pretty solid from the, from the jump. Um, but the reason it's on my list is that it's a very interesting engine builder. And it seems like engine builders have a tough time of finding themes that actually, you know, are intuitive, make sense, help learn the game more, are immersive, splendor, Century Spice Road. I didn't even really know what the theme was. I had like, I didn't remember what the theme was. I had to look it up this morning. Like, wait, what's the theme? I just remember enjoying it, but the theme didn't stick with me. Um, but it's a great engine builder. Um, and also there's open drafting, you are collecting cards, there's deck building, you're building up a strong deck, you're playing them. Um, so there's a lot going on in this game, um, but they all work really well together and it is fairly simple. But I just found it so satisfying to build up my crystals and you're restricted with how many you can hold at one time. So it's all about timing as well. And there's also with the open drafting, there's that race element again, too, of you're trying to get a card before someone else, but you can see what everyone else might be going for. So there's just so many things that work really well together. And I just love engine builders where as the game goes on, you're doing more and better things. It's just so satisfying, especially when you have a deck builder element where you can have that hand management where you can decide when to play your different actions. So yeah, it's a fantastic game. And then with the Golem edition, the major difference, I guess, is upgrading the components. So instead of the little cubes for the spices, now you have these really cool, shiny crystals and different beautiful colors. And then the art is really nice as well. But that's secondary to the mechanics. The mechanics are just so satisfying. I only played this game one time, but I was like, oh, I love this game. So if you want to put, like play an engine builder, I would definitely suggest playing that because it's not just engine building. It's also deck building, open drafting, things like that. Yeah, definitely. So the designer of that one, Emerson Matsuchi. Matsuchi? Anyway, phenomenal, phenomenal guy. I've hung out with him at conventions. He's just a great dude to be around. Mm. But his brain is just kind of like Phil Walker-Harding. It's just like you're, they're on a different level. Like they just see things differently. And yeah, that game is definitely a, a, a great example of that. And to your point about the theme, yeah, that game is so themeless. You could literally slap on anything yeah. <laughs> and it would still be fine. Yeah. Like it's just, it's an engineering game. It's it's not a yeah. thematic deal. It doesn't even need a theme. No, not at all. But you're right though. In the, the satisfaction, it's something about our little lizard brains that love yeah. taking blue and turning it into purple and then yes. turning it into green. <laughs> yes. I don't know why. Like there's so many games in the market that do that. And Splendor was one. It, so that's something about it. And then cashing them all in for this golem card that gives you points and yeah. yeah and getting it before someone else so i love that where you have to be aware of what your the other players are are doing because they might get what you want first because a lot of a lot of games you can be you know in your own little silo but in games like that where you're, you have the open drafting 
you have to be a lot more aware about what your other players are doing. Yeah. So follow up to that. My next game uh, I'll, I'll do is called Lahav. You ever play Lahav? No. Okay. I'm Another adding OG. all these games to my list list of 2008. All right. Yeah. A while back, still holds up today. Same concept yeah. though with what you're talking about with uh, Spice Road, in that you're taking this, turning it into that, turning it into this other thing, scoring points. This is how I'm going to build up this thing and win the game. Yeah. It's not quite as engine buildy as Sentry, yeah. uh, but it's still it, there's all these buildings out and and all these cards cards are the building so the cards change every game so it's always different right and you've got these special buildings that come out and do interesting things you have a ton of resources i'm trying to think there's fish there's wheat there's cows there's like all sorts of different like iron and metals and different things like that um and you're constantly like and and the tiles are all these tokens that are double-sided and so wheat is you know wheat on one side and then on the other side it's bread and Uh, yes fish or fried fish cows are meat uh, and then you can also turn cattle into hides and then turn the hides into clothing and then trade yes. you know sell the clothing for points and so it's such a cool game but on your turn you're not doing very much that's thing i think that's another thing that a lot of these great games have they're not overwhelming the players mm. with too many choices at a time mm-hmm. but in general there are lots of choices right and one thing i love about lahav is like there's no Oh, that's the best choice. And then there's nothing else. Like, okay, there's these other choices I could do, but that's the obvious. Lahab, okay. it's like, do I want this really good choice or that other really good choice? Or I could do this other really cool thing that sets me up for an amazing choice next time. Right. There's so many cool things you could do. And I would only play it with two or three players, though. That's the one, I will say one negative. Four player is not great. Just because the way this turn structure is is broken down it just doesn't work as well with four mm. but two or three phenomenal game and it's got okay. little little fun easter egg things like for instance the church building will take um bread and like turn it into more it's like it, it turns uh. a certain number of <laughs> loaves into more loaves it's like, oh, i see what you did there biblically uh, yeah, yeah. it's got little fun things but it's just a great great game it's one of those things that you play it and you get done you're like i want to play it again and it yes. doesn't take that long to play uh, and you you see where if if you lose you're like ah oh, I should I should have done this or that like you have a pretty good sense of why you lost or why you won, mm-hmm. and then you but again you could set it up play again and have a totally different experience because the the buildings that come out this yes. time are going to be different going to change your strategy so definitely recommend Laha that's L E space H A V R E yes Lahav. it's on my list it's not Lahavre which is what I called it for a long time <laughs> anyway well I called. <laughs> golem's golem so i don't know well if, if you're familiar with lord of the rings that i know makes that's sense. all i knew i was like golem golem edition i don't know <laughs> um yeah i was gonna say something about, oh yeah so the, yeah i don't know there's something about upgrading things there's something about crafting mm. things and upgrading things that i just love like i want to yeah get all these resources to pay them to craft this thing and then i want to do something to flip it over to its better side and now i get like I don't know why that's so satisfying as humans, but I definitely get that for sure. And right. there is a lot of that in um, creature comforts as well. Yeah. Something about going from nothing to yeah. something. Right. Yes. And it, same as in the real world, right? If you're, if you're doing mission work or you're building a house or anything, like you start off and there's like a plot of land and okay. And then, you know, a certain amount of time later, we have a structure that people can live in. And it's just like so satisfying mm-hmm. to your, to your soul. And in, there's a lot of games that really lean into that and yes. do well. I think that's part of it. Engine builders, especially. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because it, and maybe with engine builder, I'm gonna get your thoughts on this. One thing I found, I can't remember who told me this in an interview, but anyway, they said gamers or people in general, they want to feel one of three things, if not more, at the same time. They want to feel rich. They want to feel powerful. They want to feel smart. So yes. anytime your game can get them to feel that way, 
yeah. it's going to do well. And I feel like there's something with engine builders, you feel smart because you're the mm-hmm. one that came up with, I'm going to put A next to B next to C and we're going to run mm-hmm. this thing yeah. and then I'm going to win the game, right? So has that been something you've noticed as well? Oh, for sure. hundred percent. And I think, yeah, you just want to feel like you, maybe you built something at the end. You did something like, look how much I did. I started with nothing and now I'm here. Like, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, yeah. So letting your players feel like that's another thing too, even with party games, they want to feel funny, but not have to come up with the funny content, you know? So it's like, look at this funny card that I picked to put in this scenario. Look how funny I am. But all they did was pick the card that you created with the actual funny content, but you are helping people, enabling people to feel like they're the funny ones. So these other things, you're helping people feel like they're the smart ones because they combined these two cards that you made but then they are are doing that so you're facilitating yeah people either feeling funny or smart or powerful all these types of things so you have to facilitate those situations all right what's your next one okay so my next one is is an or it's not four ors but it's a (laughs) vast or root so Mm. these are extreme asymmetrical games if you haven't heard of them i'll take vast as an example so uh, the scenario is there's this cave, there's a dragon inside the cave, and you can play one of, I think, five different characters. So if you play the knight, your goal is to kill the dragon. If you play the dragon, you're trying to get out from the cave. If you play the goblin, you're trying to kill the knight. You can even play the cave, and you're trying to collapse onto the other players, which I find hilarious. Um, so it's an asymmetric game, an extreme asymmetric game, meaning where each player has their own different set of rules and own different win condition. So it's almost like everyone is playing a different game, but you're all playing together. So yeah, I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of this mechanic, but I definitely sought this game out to play it because I wanted to be exposed to that type of game, that style of game. It is very interesting. One of the things I don't love about it is that you don't really know what other players are doing because you have to remember four sets of rules at a time. This especially is true with Root, which is another asymmetric game where each player has a very, usually somewhat complicated rule system and win condition. And so you're doing your own thing. You don't really know what everyone else is doing, but all of a sudden someone else won. So yeah, it's a very interesting system to play as a designer, be exposed to it, and maybe you find that you love it. And I just find it so interesting. I just think it's so great that one designer, I just appreciate the effort that it took to design essentially four or five for root, 10 plus games in one. I just think that's a feat of designing engineering in itself, which I can appreciate. I might not enjoy necessarily, but I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Root was, was again, it was one of those like on the border. Is it going to be number 10 or not? And yeah. for, the same, so for the same reason, I'm not a huge fan of the game, but it is a monumental feat of game design. Yes, and exactly. I remember when Vast came out, and I think I was at Origins or something around the time it came out, and that's all people could talk about. It's like, have you seen this game? It wasn't like, oh, this game is amazing. I love it. They were just like, have you seen this? Have you yeah. seen what this dude did? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Game design, you know, or the, or the fun or the enjoyment. We're not worried about that right now. And a lot of people love it. It's still a great, great game. But just the ability to put something like that together and it works. But to your point, it does have some interesting downsides, right? Um, when someone wins, you're like, I really hope you played that correctly. Like, I hope yeah. you did the rules. I don't know what the rules for your <laughs> faction are. So hopefully you got it right. Yeah. Uh, 
and you kind of have to play the game a bunch of times, even as one faction, to really grasp yes. what you're doing. And different factions are different levels of complexity and difficulty, and that's something about. But you kind of have to play it as all of them to really yes. get the full experience. And so, just something to think about. But yeah, that might be one of those things, like you were saying, that yeah, when people love it, they love it. Yeah. Like I've met some real root fans. But like you said, like they've played every single faction multiple mm -hmm. times. So for them, they do know what everyone else is doing. So if you find your people who like really, really love it and then they invest the time to learn every single mini game within the game, then I'm sure it can be a fantastic experience. But for the average gamer, you know, it's a very long learning time. It takes a long time to learn because you're learning multiple games at once. And then, yeah, not really knowing what other people are doing. Right. Also, as a game designer, now you have to write five rule books, which yeah, at least, makes me yeah. inside. Like, I hate just the thought of that makes me want to go get back in the bed and just try again <sighs> tomorrow. Like, no thanks. I can't even imagine the playtesting for that. Like, <laughs> let's play with these four factions. Now let's take one out and replace the other one. Now take mm -hmm. one out. Like, you would have to playtest so many different combinations to make sure that they all work together because it could yep. be broken in so many different ways. Oh, well, my thing won't work because you blocked this. And mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my God, I can't even imagine the playtesting they had to do for those games, especially for Root. Right. All right, so very different game, but one of my favorites. A game that I believe is perfection. Like, I don't know of a single thing about it that's not just like exactly what it needs to be, and it's called Concordia. You ever play Concordia? No. <laughs> Adding Phenomenal it to the game. list. Yeah. Again, came out a long time ago. Has a ton of expansions at this point, all sorts of different maps and different ways to play. It's from a designer named Matt Gertz. And Max is a great guy. He's, he's another one that just kind of sees things on a different level. But mm -hmm. Concordia, it's it's got a boring thing. It's trading in the Mediterranean. I mean, it's it's, but it, it was one of the ones for a long time ago. So at least they were, there weren't quite as many games back then right. as there are now. But the idea is that you you have your little board. And you're, you're basically moving around the board, building cities and collecting resources, trying to get victory points. And what I love about it is the card system. And it's a system where you start off with a certain number of cards and each card lets you do a different thing, right? It might be move on the board. It might be collect resources. Mm. It might be build a city. It might be copy someone else's last action. All right. these different things. Um, collect money. But then there's also a card that you have to play to be able to pick all the other cards you've played back up. Right. And so the game is all about timing because that, yes. that's a wasted turn. And so when am I going to waste the turn? And, and do I, do I want to do two actions in a row? Well, if I do that, that means I have to play the action, play the card to pick that action back up, and then play that card. So that's three turns. And so like, oh man, it's just the tension of that. And then there's this open market of other cards. And these cards are like more powerful versions. So like these other cards might let you get more resources or might let you uh, buy something without having to spend as much. Right. And so you're trying to balance out, do I want to get these new cards to add to my hand? But if I'm doing that, then I'm not building cities. I'm not collecting right. you know, different yes. resources. on the. So I'm not necessarily getting closer to winning. And so it's such a good tension. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And another thing I love about it, there's no rounds. There's no phases. It's not like step mm. one, we do it. It's you play a card and then the next player plays a card. And, and we're going to do that until the game ends. And the game ends either when you run out of all the auction cards, like the deck empties, or somebody builds their last city. Then the game ends. And so yeah. there's no, like, I don't know. I, I just love that idea. Yeah. And Jamie Stegmaier is a big fan of this too. And I think it's something he tries to do with all his games. Mm. Like there aren't, all right, in round one, this, that, and the other, and we're going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end that we do round two. Like, no, yeah. we're just going to play. Yeah. And when the yeah. game ends, it ends. And, yes. oh, it's so phenomenal. And 
now there's like 10 or 15 different maps and all the maps are different and some are big wide open spaces some are like a lot smaller and so you're kind of having to fight for over different resources and things more so mm. anyway concordia is there area control in that as well no or? not really okay. area control it's but there, there's a bonus there's a benefit if you get to a place first and build a city Mm-hmm. Anyone else who wants to build a city there has to pay more. Uh, so there is a benefit oh, pay to more. They don't pay you. They just have uh, to they don't pay, pay you. It just costs okay. them more. Right. And so there's benefits to getting your stuff out there. Yeah. But at the same time, you got to do this and you got to do that over there. And you got to do this other thing. And you kind of have to, it's this holistic approach because you kind of mm-hmm. have to do all the stuff. You know, you, you can't be like, yes. all right, I'm only yes. going to buy carts. It's like, well, well, no, or I'm only going to build cities. It's like, well, somebody else is going to buy the cards that build cities faster and even though you're focused on cities, by the end of the game, they're going to do it better than you because they've built up this these combos, right, with mm-hmm. these different cards. And yes. so, anyway, I, I, it's just a phenomenal game. Shut up and sit down. Did an amazing review a while back about it, and um, that's one of the things that really turned me on to the game. I was like, oh, okay, if these guys have all these nice things to say about it, I'll check it out. And so, it's just a great game. Yeah, if there's is something to say like about an incredibly streamlined game like that. I, I, I actually really like that. It's kind of the opposite of Robinson Crusoe. Um, right. <laughs> I don't know if you've played the game Eight Minute Empire. That it didn't make. Is that my from list. Uh, Ryan Lockett? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a very streamlined area control game where yeah, you're just drawing cards, you're playing cards. That's it. Yeah, literally takes eight minutes to play. Um, and there's just something to be said, like even as a design experiment, as a designer to try to make something as straightforward and streamlined as that, but still have a fun, uh, engaging experience for the player. I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And something just to take away from, because that game accomplishes in eight minutes what other games accomplish yes. in 60. And it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just preference, you know? Yes. Or if you only have 10 minutes, well, we know which game we're playing. So Yeah, exactly. You can play that when you're taking a break from... Uh, Twilight Imperium. <laughs> exactly. All right, what's your uh, next one? Yeah, it's Ryan Lockout. I just wanted to confirm mm-hmm. that. Um, okay, so yeah, so that was your, in your mind, that was the most perfectly designed game, a perfectly designed game in your opinion. Yep. So my next one is actually a perf- as close to perfect design game as you can get, in my opinion. I actually made a whole video about why I think that's true. I put it up against, yeah, Jamie Stegmar's 12 Tenets of game design and I put it up against uh, my framework that I work within when I design games and it hits almost all of them. Not all of them. Maybe one day I'll find a game that hits all of them, but it's called Istanbul the Dice Game. So it's not the pick up and deliver original Istanbul game, it's Istanbul the Dice Game. Um, So there's just so many great things about this game. One of the best things about it is I do think it's a fantastic gateway game. So if you're just new to this or you have friends or you want to bring into the hobby or someone's interested in modern board games, have them play Assemble the Dice Game. And I can pretty much guarantee you they're going to get hooked. They're going to want to play again and they're going to want to play new and different games. It'll open up them into this whole world of board games. So the idea is you're rolling a handful of dice, which is always fun. Um, and then you're deciding what to do with that die result. And there's a bunch of different fun things you can do. And one of them is you can acquire mosque tiles, which somehow give you uh, abilities for the rest of the game. So you can kind of build up, you level up your your player and you can do more and interesting things as the game goes on, which I think is always a fantastic thing to have in a game. Um, So yeah, it just does a bunch of things really, really well. It's very fast paced, doesn't go on too long, lots of interesting choices. And one thing that might be a bit silly but that I like is that when you're rolling these dice, they're not 
pips. They're not numbers on, on dice. They have icons on them. And so in a lot of games, you have to be like, oh, it's a four. And four means I get wood or like, you know, I don't know. But if you have a little icon of the thing and you're like, oh, I get jewelry. I get this. I get that. There's just something I just like about that where you're not counting pips. You're not adding one pip, losing one pip. You're not doing that. You're just, you roll, you look at the icons visually, you connect, you know what you got. It makes sense. It's not arbitrarily four equals brick or whatever. Um, yeah, so there's just a bunch of great things going on here. The goal of the game is to be the first to collect five rubies. There's a bunch of different ways you can collect rubies, a bunch of different strategies you can try out, and just so many different things you can do with the die result. So fantastic game, assemble the dice game. Very cool. Is there a second edition called Constantinople? <laughs> not as far as I know. Okay, okay. No. gotcha. Good to know. Uh, I would follow up with that. If anyone is interested in games like that, check out Nations, the dice game. Okay. Similar vein where you've got these dice that have different icons and you're trying to upgrade the dice as you bring in new buildings, you yeah. get different dice and they have different, uh, you know, some ah. of them have two of this and one of that. Like they get different uh, dispersions of, of icons and things like that. And so that's another one to check out. But also just as a general, like kind of higher level concept. Yeah. What is someone doing when they take a game and then turn it into a dice version? What does the translation look like? What do they have to change or cut? Because Nations, the dice game, is very, very different than just the regular Nations board game. They cut 78% of the game and turn it into this dice version. Almost to the the point where it could be, you just put a different title Mm -hmm. and and it's a different game, right? And so what did the designers do and why is another thing just to kind of look at. And so, yeah, go out there and find these kind of long worker placement games and then find their dice counterparts. counterparts. Uh, Catan has a dice version. Yeah. Check that out and see what's different. Uh, just as yeah, a pandemic has a dice version. I haven't played yep. it, but it looks very different. And this is very different from the original Istanbul game. Very, very different. Um, yeah, it definitely simplifies things, makes it a lot faster. Um, yeah. Speaking of dice, my next one. Let's go with Sagrada. If you're in, if you're interested in kind of abstract games, if you're interested in dice manipulation, dice mitigation, Sagrada is a really cool one. You're basically building stained glass windows and you've got all these really pretty translucent, colorful dice and you're putting them in different orders and you're trying to score points and do different things and move them around and change them. It's really interesting. It's very similar to like Azul. And I know a lot of people love Azul. I I don't, Ah. I, I enjoy, it's fine. I'm good at it. Like I, I win the game. It's not like I lose. I'm like, oh, I hate this game. Like, no, I understand how it works. I just don't like, I think I don't like the, the way you take tiles in Azul. And I've seen too ah. many people get screwed over and the yep. game is really mean if you, mm. if you want it to be. And I think that bothers me a little bit. Sagrada is a little, little nicer to each other. And so okay. I think that's part of it, but I really, I really like Sagrada. Also a game from a friend of mine, David Abelson is called Garden Bow, Garden Bow, Garden Bow. And it's got that similar, you're moving around, changing different things. It, it's a flower theme. It's, it's really great. Anyway, it's one worth checking out. If you're, if you're designing an abstract game, yeah, check out Sagrada, check out Garden Bowl, yes, and just see the choices. See the interesting options that players have on a turn and then try to figure out, okay, why did they do this and, and how did they mitigate that? I don't know. I, I just think they're both those games are really good case studies and mm-hmm. how to do it effectively. Garden Bow didn't get the reception. I'd be a, if we ever did a list of like games that were underrated, yes, yes. It, it would be on my list. I really feel like it should have done a lot better, but uh, it's worth checking out. It's also beautiful. It's also a game yes. production-wise. And Sagrada mm-hmm. too. 
mm-hmm. right? We're not just talking about games. We're talking about experiences, right? Yes. Laid out on a table, Instagrammable, right? Where people can take a picture of it and it shows up and it looks good online on social media. Mm-hmm. It's all part of this, right? Azul yeah. is a great example. You take a picture of that, people go, ooh, that's a pretty, yes. pretty thing. What is that? Tell me more. Yeah. Versus another browned, you know, soulless Euro game. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, cool. It's just different. And so it's nothing to keep in mind from a product standpoint as a mm-hmm. designer. All right, what's next? So yeah, talking about table presence, my next one has great table presence. It's called Colt Express. So in this game, there's a 3D cardboard train in the middle of the table. So that just will bring people over right away. And that is something to think about as a designer, you know, how you attract, you know, people. If you have great table presence, you will automatically bring people over to your to your table, whether you're playtesting or if you're pitching, you might grab the attention of a publisher who's walking by. But yeah, there's a 3D train and you're all like bandits trying to rob on this train. Um, but what's interesting is about, about it is that it uses a programming mechanic. So if you haven't been exposed to this, it's basically where you're going to decide what actions your character will take in what order and you will lock them in. And then everyone reveals their first action. That Those are resolved. Reveal the second action. Those are resolved. So it's called programming because it's like writing code and then hitting run. Um, so it's just an interesting mechanic. I don't know if I love it um, because you are trying to anticipate, you know, what people are going to do and your third and fourth actions might be completely useless because the situation has completely changed by then. So it's just an interesting mechanic as a designer to play and to try out. Maybe you'll find that you do like it, but just to just to be exposed to somewhat of a, of a mechanic that's not used as much in games that is kind of interesting. Yeah, so Robo Rally is another one that almost made my list. Have you played that one? No. Okay. Very, very same vein as Cold Express where it's programming and I'm going to program my robot and it's going to move forward two spaces and it's going to push and going to turn right and going to do this. And then you let it run. Everybody's just bumping into each other and, and, you know, their robots are all, you're pushing each other into conveyor belts and into saws and like all sorts of stuff, right? Uh, It's old school. That's a game that's been around a long, long time. Cold Express took that idea and then made it much more thematic, right? How could we do that idea, that concept? on a train with a heist and a shootout and stuff like that. And so that's another cool thought is how can you maybe take some ideas, some concepts, some mechanisms from games that have been around a long time, have proven to be well-liked, they sell well. How do you take that core and then change it? Change the theme. Make it better. Add something to it. Yeah. Take Mm -hmm. something out. Um, Put it on a train with a a heist and a shootout. Like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And the, the nice thing is the mechanism is already proven. We know this works. How can we do that mechanism in a different way? See it from a different yes. angle, right? I feel like a lot of times as game designers, we, we get maybe too preoccupied with coming up with something too new. It's got to be super unique and no, you've never seen right. anything like this. Like there's value in that for sure. But there's also value in leaning into something people are familiar with. They, especially like with deck building, you know, everybody understands. I, I draw five cards. I'm going to play them. I'm going to discard them. I'm going to build, like, we understand that concept now. Okay. How can you change it just a little bit? Right. But also at the same time, it's okay to make a debt builder that you just draw five cards. What if you right. what if you do that, but now you add a board? This is what Ascension did, right? It's a deck building game, but now we've got a board over here that I'm moving around. And so I'm doing the cards here, but then also moving my pieces and having combat over there. Okay, so now mm-hmm. that's different. Even though those concepts have showed up in a million other games, debt building or right. combat on a board. Like, okay, that's not particularly original, but the combination was super unique. Yes. So something else to yes, think about. Yes, exactly. 100%, 100%, yeah. 
I always say like, yeah, one of the reasons to play as many games as possible is to be inspired by all these games that exist and think like, I like this one element of this game and I like this element of this game. What happens if I combine them and smush them together, but maybe then add in a little extra in there myself? Yeah, I think that's one of the best things about playing as many games as possible for sure. And just as you were talking there, just had a couple of thoughts about Colt Express is that Robo Rally makes a lot of sense. Pro- the programming mechanic makes a lot of sense because they're robots. Right. They have been programmed and then they're doing that. That's why it makes sense. And Colt Express, I don't know why I'm shooting if there's no one there anymore. <laughs> you know? It's all happening um, so fast. You know, it's <laughs> oh, okay, just reacting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll play it off like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that that is true. Yeah, I guess if you pretend like it's so high speed that you when you took the shot they were there but then they dropped down to the bottom level now they're not there anymore um but if they're maybe robot people that would make a bit more sense (laughs) um but uh one other thing that'd be called bolt express yeah (laughs) love it (laughs) um but i was gonna say robot express it uh it plays really well on a board game arena um obviously because the programming mechanic takes a very long time to go, okay, resolve. Okay, what's this card? Resolve. It's like, but Board Game Arena is boom, 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 boom. It's, it's one of the games that plays better on Board Game Arena than in person, um, for sure. Yeah, it's very interesting, uh, definitely. Yeah. All right, so yeah. next one on my list, we're going to go kind of to the opposite end of the spectrum. We've been talking about a lot of complicated games, games that take a while, kind of heavier, yeah. whatever. I'm going to go to a game that's barely a game, basically an activity. And it's called Silly Street. And it's a game for families. It's a game that my kids have, have loved, especially when they were a little bit younger. And it is it is silly. It is a silly game of going down this silly street. And it's kind of this roll and move type deal. And every time you land on a space, you you draw a card from different places. It's almost like a like a trivial pursuit thing where you draw a card and you're oh. gonna have or cranium where you're gonna have to do different things, right? You might oh. have to draw, you might have to act something out, you might have to, you know, you've got 30 seconds to run to your room and grab something red and bring it back. Um, you might have a vote. One of them is in there, it's like who has the worst bedhead in the mornings? And I obviously always got voted that as the person. And so all my kids <laughs> laughed at me, but I also, because I got voted that person, I got to move forward two spaces. I was like, well, you know, it works out. You can laugh oh, at me, okay. but I'm, I'm now winning the game. And so there's a lot of games on the market like this, that as gamers, as game designers, especially, we have a tendency to look down our nose at, and we go, right. oh, this is barely a game. Where are the choices? Where are the interesting decisions? Mm. That's a valid criticism. However, Silly Street has probably sold more copies than all <laughs> my games put together for the rest of my life, right? Yeah. And so it's just something to be aware of. Again, what's your target audience? What's the market you're, you're aiming at? And and be okay with a game being a little lighter. Because one thing I've found, yeah. especially in playtesting, the more I playtest a game, the easier I think it is. But that's because I've played it a hundred times. When someone plays it for the first time, they're like, wow, this is too complicated. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is so simple to understand. It's simple for me because I've made the thing and I've done it a billion times. Yes. So to always remember that someone coming in is going to feel like, like, kind of like your experience with Ticket to Ride. Like, that's not a complicated game. But when you don't have experience with it, it's overwhelming because yes. all the, it's so brand new. And so that's something to think about. Also, there's something to be said for a game that is just simple. You put it on the table. You don't have to think. You just roll some dice, see what happens. Another couple of games I wrote down, Shut the Box, which is a game where you're literally just rolling two dice and then you're hoping to get certain numbers. That's kind of it. There's like two decisions ah. in the whole game. There's Can't Stop. 
which is another game from you know the 80s i think and you're rolling dice you're trying to move it's a push your luck game but you're really just rolling dice and hoping for the best people love those games and they take 10 minutes to play and it's easy right after dinner before kids have to get ready for bed just throw it out on the table have some fun laugh for a minute have a nice little moment and then move Mm -hmm. on about your day there's there's so much value in those games so i just wanted to highlight those totally yeah, hundred percent. I mean, as someone who loves party games and loves designing party games, yeah, creating those experiences that are easy to learn, easy to get into, easy to understand, but they create those memories right. and those experiences that you want to create for for people and their friends and family. And if you can do it in a clever way, like designing very streamlined, simple games, I put simple in quotation marks, is difficult. You know, a lot of people can't do it, especially want to do something different that hasn't really been done before. But if it if it takes if it does something in a clever way, but in a simple, clever way, I think that's I think that's fantastic. And that's what I try to do with my party games. Not have a million different things going on, but have some sort of clever, interesting thing that makes it have that ooh moment when you read the back of the box and then that creates those moments between players i think it's great yeah 100%. and to your point it's it's much harder to cut than it is to add exactly and exactly so, yeah all right what's next yeah um well my next one is definitely not simple um it's tyrants of the underdark <laughs> um so this is a deck building game with area control set in the dungeons and dragons fantasy world. So I was also going to put Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm glad that you said it um, to have like a role playing game. So this isn't role playing, but it's set within the Dungeons and Dragons world. So if you enjoy this, then you might get hooked into sort of want to explore the Dungeons and Dragons world a bit more. Um, But it uses deck building with area control. And I don't think I've played a game that does that before. Um, but it does it in a really interesting way, two really solid mechanics that work well together. It just feels like you're playing two really good games in one because you have the deck building going on and you have the area control. So in case anybody doesn't know, area control is just if you have the majority of a region, then you have uh, you control that region, you get points or resource or whatever. So yeah, and then the theme, just the art, the feel of it, you feel like you're in this world. Um, you're building up your your army and you're trying to vie for control over the underdark so yeah i i thought this was a fantastic game it took a little bit to get into but once you i mean if you already know the deck building mechanic you already know the area control you get into it fairly fairly easily but the mechanics wise and theme wise all worked really really well together yeah very cool and so piggybacking on that my next one also a deck building game legendary and i think these games have some interesting things to to think about in how they implement something but do it in interesting ways right it's not just a clone of dominion right it was it was designers figuring out a way to take the concepts of dominion but then turn it on its head and offer something brand new that really appeals to people whether it's in theme because dominion's kind of like you know again we're trading in the mediterranean basically but with tyrants of the underdark okay dungeon dragons sales right and people love fantasy all right so put it into there or legendary has like 10 different themes now, and all the games are a little bit different. You have the Marvel, you have 007, you have X-Files, you have Firefly, Alien, The Matrix, wow. which I think just came out. And every game is different. It's the same core, it's the same concept, but it's it's different, and the, the changes that they make, it, they make sense. You're like, oh, okay, it, you know, 
because we're doing this whole different universe now, it makes sense that the cards work this way. Still the same, you know, I spend these resources to gain these cards. Cards are moving around this little board and whatever. But it, it kind of makes sense, more intuitive. And so mm. something I want designers to be thinking about is, can you create a game that's also a system that leans right. itself into being able to be rethemed Yes. To make more money and to make more games. I mean, Pandemic yeah. has had like 20 different versions at this point. There's Cthulhu. There's all sorts yes. of different like time periods. I think like Ancient Rome is one. Yes. And they just keep printing money with this, right? So if you can create a system, right? Tyrants yeah. of the Underdark, similar kind of thing. Like you could set that in space. You could set that in the Wild West. Like you could take those core concepts of deck building and area control and the way things are moving mm -hmm. around on the board and put a new spin on it and have a very, very different game that appeals to either the same audience that wants more of the same or a new yes. audience that's more interested. They don't like fantasy, but they'll play space. They'll play Wild West. Right. Because they have a cool core system. And mm -hmm. I don't know, you, you can just, you can productize things in a really cool way if you create yeah. a, like a really nice core. Yeah, 100%. And to build on that, so I've been working on this game for the past two years. It's finally coming out next year, so I can't talk about it like in such detail, but it was a game I had to create a system that wasn't couldn't necessarily be, I mean, it could be rethemed, but with the idea of, of scaling it, of being able to add in expansions, to add it, to slot in different characters or add different characters to the world to build it out. So I had to think of how can I make that work where this game, you can play it with two, you can play it with three, four, or possibly five, six with the expansions. How would they fit in with that? So each player has their own land tiles and then depending on which players are, are playing, that's what would create the board. So you could play with six because they all come with their own resource, their own tiles, their own. Yeah, I can't like say, I want to like talk about this game so bad. When this game comes out, we, we can talk again. But yeah, just the idea of like, yeah, creating a system that can be scalable or like you said, can be rethemed to different things is very important. Yeah, very cool. And just from a, again, from a business standpoint, anytime you can make a game with a long tail, right? That you build up an audience and then you can keep giving them new factions, new characters, new expansions, yes, exactly. right? That, and again, you're not just making stuff to make it, you're making it because they want it. It's gotta be good. You know, you can't just, oh, I made a system and here's a million different ways. It still has to be fun and enjoyable and a good experience. Yes, yes, yes. But if you make a game that is so specific, then there's nothing wrong with that, but it's going to be hard to change it it's gonna be hard to like add more to it um mm -hmm. and again there's no wrong answer it's just a matter of just kind of thinking what do you want to do and how do you want to carry it out yeah all right 100%. what's your next one so was legend legendary was yours legendary there? was mine yep oh, okay cool are your are games seem to be like magically kind of aligning to each other That's well kind of i'm cool. doing i didn't have them listed like in a number oh you're yeah, picking yeah. them out so, oh okay we're doing oh, it organically okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so my next one is king of tokyo Nice. Um, by Richard Garfield, designer of Magic the Gathering. You can't see um, it, but it's like right over my shoulder, right over here. Oh, there you go. Yeah, literally yeah. was like, again, another one of those borderline ones. You, I'm glad that you chose almost all of my borderline ones. This is working out really yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Yeah, no matches yet. So we have one more. Um, okay, so yeah, in this game, you're trying to be the most powerful monster in Tokyo. And it does a great job of two of the tough, toughest mechanics you can work with as a designer, in my opinion. Uh, that's take that and player elimination. So in general, players don't love these. They can generate bad feelings among players. Uh, people are waiting around possibly for a long time before they can play again if they've been eliminated. Um, but it does it really well, in my opinion, because 
first of all, uh, eliminating the other monsters is not the only way to win. You can just build up your own power high enough that you are the strongest, so you win. So you don't have to go after other players if you don't want to. Um, and then player elimination, it's such a fast game that if you get eliminated, you're waiting around max 10 maybe 15 minutes before you can join back in for another game. It's not like Monopoly where you're waiting around for a couple hours before you can get back in. So it takes two, yeah, two tough mechanics and does a fairly, a pretty good job with them, I would say. But then just in general, it's a fun game. You're again, rolling a handful of dice and it's a Yahtzee roll. So you can re-roll a couple times, try to get what you want and you can buy cards to power up your character. You can decide what direction you want to go. Do you want to try to, yeah, uh, build up resources to buy cards. So you want it, you have to increase your health. And there's also a bit of a push your luck aspect to it, where if you're in Tokyo, um, you can't heal, but then you get more points the longer you stay in there. But if you stay in there too long and your health goes gets down too low, you have the potential of dying. And that does happen quite often. But the you it's so like you want to stay in there as long as possible. It's so interesting. So there's a lot going on, but it is a fairly simple game. And it's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, this is one of the ones that Anytime I was playing with new gamers, right? People who are only familiar with Monopoly and Clue and stuff like that. This is one of my go-tos because it's like, okay, yes. you're played Yahtzee. Pretty much everybody's played Yahtzee. It's Yahtzee. Yes. But we're going to add a couple more things and yeah. we'll explain them as we go. And there's only a few cards out at a time. So you don't have to explain every card. You just have to explain the few that are out there to say, hey, well, this one does this. Gives you more energy. Very simple to understand. And I was playing mostly with, with high school kids down in Honduras. And they all just picked it up real quick. And then they just, they loved it. They Especially younger yeah. people. They love Take That. They love destroying you. you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So that's part of it too. But also I love how anytime I got eliminated for a while, it was my fault because I was trying to do too much. I was trying to push it. I was trying to max out. I was trying to stay in right. Tokyo and yep. max out <laughs> on damage everybody else. And that was yes. really what was more important. I wasn't even trying to win. I was trying to do something cool. And it gives right. you the ability to do that. And it makes sense that that's possible because Richard Garfield designed it. And he also did Magic the Gathering, which is another thing. It's like you have players that want to win. You have players that want to do cool combos. And both are, are cool. Like it's, it's yes. Either strategy is fun. And so mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I love I love that game. But like yeah. we were saying earlier, how, do you, how can you take a game's mechanism from a long time ago, in this case Yahtzee, and then right. do it? totally differently and make it something special. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, 100%. On the opposite end of that, th these these two are not related at all. <laughs> My next one is Sleeping Gods, which... Ah, I just looked this up the other day. Mm -hmm. It looks so cool. Phenomenal. I'm excited for the next one, the Sleeping Gods Part 2, basically, Distant Skies, which is somewhere in the shipping process right now. Like, it's about to get okay. on people's tables. And Because yeah. Sleeping Gods, for all its amazingness, it did have some issues, which I think the next iteration is fixing a lot of that oh, so there's another example of fixing some things in the next yep. edition all right yep. and it is a massive adventure game kind of open world in nature but you still have these like euro mechanisms that are controlling like how far you can move and there's like some resource management and stuff like that but okay. it is just going back like like root a phenomenal feat of game design even if you don't right. like it even if you don't like adventure games and it's not your style yeah. just to take a step back as a designer and appreciate the amount of work and effort that went into bringing yes. it to life. Even just the book of the narrative. Yep. I saw the size of that book. I was like, Oh my goodness. Yep. That must and have taken a it's long another one time. That's a lot of people's favorite game. A lot of people hate it, but a lot of people, it's the, the thing that they love most about the hobby. And so just something else to, to take away from that, but it's got story. It's got puzzles. 
It's got combat. It's got all these different things that make up this really big, epic adventure. Yeah. It also, it doesn't hold your hand necessarily. Like it doesn't say go to space F5 and do this. It's, it'll say, oh, you need to go find the the jagged rocks. So now you're looking at the map. You're like, okay, what which rocks? Okay, that one could be a jagged rock. That one, it's probably, mm. it's probably this one. Let's go over there. Let's see what that is. And, and oh, let's continue the story. That. And so you kind of have to figure some things out on your own. Uh, it does have one issue where it kind of resets where as you go throughout the game, you kind of get to different points and like it resets your abilities. It resets your cards. That's kind of an unfun thing that they're fixing in the next one. Yeah, but, I don't love that. No, but I understand. What, I'm designing an open world adventure game in a lot of ways inspired by Sleeping Gods. So my game's called uh -huh. Robomon. It's kind of like Pokemon, the board game. And okay. Sleeping Gods is not just a great game, I think, in general. It's a great game for me as a designer personally because I saw that game and I was like, oh, there's so much more we can do with board games. And then that inspired me to do some yes. other cool stuff So from a personal standpoint. But yep. one thing I've learned, this goes back to when I was talking about Twilight, Imperium, and Dune. How do you make a game that lasts a long time? In this case, like 30 hours of gameplay, but you still keep oh. it interesting and different and fun. And I think what happened was Ryan Lockett ran into the situation was with like, if you just continue to gain cards and abilities, like by the end of the game, you're going to have a hundred of these things. And so how do we fix that? Well, we need some resets. We need to do some things oh, okay. that cause that not to happen because that's just too much going on. And that was his answer. There are better answers. And I think he kind of figured that out in distance guys. I'm really excited to see how he's doing it differently, but to keep players engaged for a 30 plus hour campaign, that's a challenge, you know, and there's games like tainted grail and a lot of the Wake and realm stuff. They're, they're doing this. They have so much narrative and story and content or uh, content to get yes. through. How do you make it fun for a long time? Something to, uh, to think about, but it, it's hard. It's a big, it's a big challenge. It takes forever. That's another thing I was, I was yeah. talking. I did, I did an episode with Ryan and I was like, man, how many games could you have designed in the time it took you to do sleeping gods? It's like 10, yeah. <laughs> you know, you could have done 10 other products for the time it took to do that one. So something to right? think about. Yeah. It's a big but, investment. Um, it really is. It has to be a labor yeah. of love. If you don't love it, it's not worth the time, the effort, the money, everything that goes into it. And if you it. don't have a, a publisher who's interested, who's, who has signed the contract to make right. it. I don't know if I could like this game that I've been working on for two years that, is all I've done for like two years. It's also like open world um, quests and all that. Um, yeah, it was with a publisher who was, I signed the contract at the start of the development process. Mm. So it's not like, I don't know if I could have the motivation to do something that big without a commitment from a publisher. Yeah, I would honestly warn a designer against it. If you're not going to yeah. do it yourself, like if you're not going to do your own crowdfunding campaign and because the potential for it's hard to find a publisher no matter what, but yes. it's really hard to find yeah. a publisher for big games that are expensive, you know, and yeah. the amount of time and effort. And yeah, I, and I would lore say that you maybe just came up yourself and they don't know exactly. anything about it right. and they might have IPs that they would rather work with and right. they might ask you to completely change the narrative to one of their IPs. They have to redo everything. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. If you're not going to do it, if you're not going to publish it yourself, I would war, warn somebody away from from diving into it. Because it's epics. Because yeah. like, I started working on this game in April of 2020. So yeah. where are we at now? It's like September 2023. You know, hopefully it's going to come out spring-ish next year. Like that's the plan. That's a yep. long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Something to be aware of. All right. Yeah, 100%. What, what's your next one? Okay, so this is my last one um it's charterstone 
So yeah, Jamie Stegmeyer's Legacy Game. Um, I feel like it. Yeah, it would probably be on my list of maybe a, yeah underrated. A lot of people I feel like don't talk about it, um, but it's a great Legacy Game. Um, you know, Pandemic Legacy, Ticket to Ride Legacy, they get kind of all the attention, but Charterstone is very cool. So you're basically um, it's a, and it's a competitive Legacy Game, which is interesting. Um, but you're all trying to build up this village and. Yeah, you're unlocking crates. So there's all these little boxes in the game and you're you're opening them up and you're adding new cards, you're adding stickers to the board, you're changing the board over time, you're building up this land and just the art is super cute. Opening up the crates is so satisfying. It's so cool to to discover new things and add it to the board and make you the board unique and different from anyone else's board. Yeah, it's a fantastic game. There's a lot going on. Like Jamie Stigmar, I don't know how he designs these. We were just talking about that, like Scythe and Charterstone. How much effort goes into these massive games that he makes? And I don't know how he, he probably has a big team helping him and lots of playtesters and stuff, but it's a lot. It's a big endeavor for sure, especially with legacy games. I don't know how you play test that. That's a tough, that's, that's tough to do. But yeah, it's a great legacy game. I definitely recommend it to check that out, especially if you haven't played a legacy game before and you don't really know what that genre is. It's a very cool concept. Yeah, Charterstone taps into one of the things that people love in general, which is surprise. What's in the box, right? Yes. What, what's, <laughs> what new little goodie are we going to find in this box? Yes. Especially if it's based on like your own choices. You know, that's another thing. Yeah. Some legacy games, it's, okay, we're going to open box number five because the game told us right. to. Versus, yes. I'm going to open box number five because I did a thing and I traveled over here yes. and I explored this or that. And now I get to open box five. Like, it's all, it's my decision. Like, that's a cool thing mm-hmm. to lean into. And yeah, Tarstone, just a, a great example of that. Yeah, to your point, like a little underrated. Like, people don't really talk about it now. Yeah. Um, there's been so many other legacy games come out. So many, not that many, like 10. Like, we're not talking about very yeah. many because they take so yeah, much Yeah, it's effort. very weird that it doesn't get the the attention that I think They take it forever to design. The same reason there's not a whole bunch of these like really massive open world games. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a really good conversation with Rob Davio just a few days ago where we are chatting about playtesting and I asked him, how do you playtest a legacy game? And he's like, Ugh. like you can just see the, <laughs> yeah. the weight, the burden of this. And because you have yeah. to get groups that are going to go through the entire campaign but you yeah. have to, but you're also iterating and you're making changes, but you yeah. can't necessarily get the same group to do it again. Cause they already, they've exactly. already seen stuff, right? So you're constantly having to find new people and yeah. yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. That's one I don't think I'll be doing anytime soon. <laughs> All right. My last one is Arkham Horror, the card game. So this is another example of a really popular game that was then turned into a different version. But in this regard, I think a better version. Arkham Horror mm-hmm. is an amazing game. Been around a long, long time. Had some issues, right? It could take way longer than it should. It's like a game that shouldn't yeah. last that long. Kind of, it's a lot of luck, a lot of swinginess, a lot of dice. And so yeah. they turned it into a card game, and you still get the adventure, even though you're not moving around a board and going to. Dip, you still feel like you're exploring, you're investigating, you're moving Great. from card to card, room to room. But yeah. the systems are just so tight, like they're just so good, you know. And you're building yeah. your deck based on, you know, you you select a character and you have certain cards that are just generic cards, but then each character has different cards specifically for them. Some are really good, some not so good. So you get some kind of flaws, flaw cards in there. And that's kind of interesting, which gives you more mm-hmm. replayability. So even though like each yeah. box doesn't come with a bunch of scenarios and it might 
honestly is a little overpriced <laughs> for what you get, but you can play mm-hmm. each scenario with different characters and play it out in different ways. And so cool. there's some replayability there. Um, there's a big campaign. So it's like this overarching story. If you're into that, like you can kind of go from, you know, the beginning, middle and end to kind of see how the story is going to change and evolve. It can change depending on your choices. It's just a cool game. And then also Orgrim Horror had dice and you had to get like a five or a six for success and you're trying to roll as many dice as possible, but it's still swingy. Well, they replaced that with this bag building kind of system where you're reaching in a bag and you're drawing a token. You're, you're mm-hmm. playing cards to get, let's say you need five, five resources or five, five is your, uh, your target number. Well, I might play cards and now I have four. So I need to draw a token out of the bag and hopefully I get a plus one or higher. But there's also negatives. There's also instant fails. There's also tokens in the bag that ah. do different things based on the scenario, based on the chapter of the you know story you're in. So that mm. changes. You can make the, the bag easier or harder by changing the token distribution in there. So that's yeah. kind of cool. Um, anyway, so they, they took that idea, that system of, okay, we still want some luck. We still, you don't know yeah. if you're going to kill the, the monster, but we're going to make it a little less lucky a little less swingy uh, mm-hmm. and i think it was a really cool system so anyway arkham horror mm-hmm. the card game and are you able to add better tokens into the bag as the game goes on if you do good things are you rewarded with that no i don't think so it, uh, okay all the you ones can just set it's like the difficulty at the beginning level. Uh-huh, at the beginning and you change it okay. depending on the scenario right so some scenarios you're gonna add different tokens and the to- a lot of the tokens are generic and they might mean different things for this scenario so this right. icon in, in scenario A means this, the icon in scenario B means that. And so yeah. that can change. But but there's also that freedom where if you wanted to, as a game designer, you could go in and kind of like mess with the bag and, and make things a little bit different. Yeah. And so I that's think that's what a, I would want to do. Yeah. I'd be like, if you succeed at this thing, you can add one more good mm-hmm. token to the bag. Yeah. And that yeah. might be, it might have, and there's so many scenarios at this point, like so many yeah. different versions uh they might have added that the ones i played i don't think that was part of it so it very well could be i don't know why they wouldn't do that you know change the distribution um during the still luck based yeah during the game you could also make it harder you know as as cthulhu comes out then all of a sudden he adds these really negative tokens in the bag so now you're more you're more likely right to have bad things happen um right mid game as opposed to front you know from the beginning where you're just kind of getting started i I like when games level when they scale You know, we yes. go from not a lot going on to at the end, it's like, oh my gosh, there's 100%. so many things happening. And um, yes. it's just really tense and stuff like that. Definitely. You want that arc for sure. Yeah. Well, Pam, that's a good list you had. I really appreciate we didn't have any crossover, which... No, not one. Cool. Yeah, I thought, I didn't think we would, but that was cool. <laughs> that was really fun. Yeah, I mean, I need to do this again. I need to like find other like top 10 topic kind of things. I mean, the Dice Tower has made a living off of doing top 10s yep. for years. You do top 10, insert whatever, you've mm-hmm. got a, a viral video. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just, but I love breaking it down from a design standpoint because, you know, exactly. 99% exactly. of those videos are, this game is fun because of X, yes. Y, and Z reason. Whereas it's kind of cool to look at it. This game is not even necessarily good. It's just like, this is a game yeah. to be aware of because, yes. or a game to play because of these cool things that it has going on. I think this is a, that's yeah, cool. Thank you for suggesting it. I really appreciate you uh, offering up this as a topic. Yeah, that was super fun. Well, Pam, where can people find you? I know you've got a really great YouTube channel. That's how I discovered you. You've been putting out some really cool game design focused videos for a while now. So tell people yes. about that and any other place they can find you online. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Gabe. This is super, super fun. Um, yeah, so my YouTube channel is Pam Wall's Game Design. So I try to put a video out every week. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, my website, Pam Wall's Game Design as well. So that's where you can find me. Yeah, you got any games you want to plug or where people can find your games? Uh, yeah, so my uh, last, so I have three published games. One is Hold That Face with Hasbro, Act Fast with Outset Media, uh, Blob Party with WizKids, and that's the one that just came out at Gen Con. So it is slowly filtering out into stores. Um, hopefully it gets into a few more. Um, it's definitely available online. Um, it's sold out at Gen Con. It's been really, get really, it's been getting really good uh, feedback. Um, so I'm really, really happy with that game. It's my favorite party game that I've made so far. It's a cooperative game where you're trying to all become one big blob and you have Play-Doh you can smush together with googly eyes. So it's super fun. Um, so that one for sure. And then hopefully I'll be able to talk about my adventure game coming out next year. Um, it's with Ravensburger and that's all I can really say right now, but hopefully can announce it pretty soon. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to have you back and we can dive deep into that game and hopefully my adventure game is out by then too and maybe we can just kind of yeah. compare notes and adventure see. Adventure party. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, Pam, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.